0: Welcome to the Akashic Reading Podcast, presented by AkashicReading.com, the place where you can learn to access your soul's wisdom, or at least stop digging the hole any deeper. And today, we'll be discussing healthy ways of exploring your inner dimensions. The notion of journeying within the self has been a bit abused over the past couple of hundred years, due to the inception of and the growing pains within the field of psychology. Bless Freud and Jung, but they've made it a staple of therapy to have to dig into the painful past, plumb the depths of our subconscious, and look at our shadow self in order to be healthy, all of which has merit to a point, just like most modalities do. Taken to extremes, they can cause significant harm, and even when not, they often leave people with unsatisfied questions of Okay, what now? A large number of my clients come to me having picked the bones clean digging into their past, plumbing their depths, and looking inside for the root causes of things. When you've pulled things out by the roots, what you're left with is barren soil and a hole, right? But that's what we think of when we think of journeying within, because those are the symbols we're taught from early childhood. Going into the self is like exploring a dark cave or the dark continent of Africa, and everything there is mysterious and dangerous and we might not come back. Some people discover alternative meditations which lead them into their core or their spiritual self via their prana or life force, but usually these processes are meant to lift us out of ourselves, not to have us go inward. The inward movement is meant to be a grounding process which allows us connect to the universal, the downward prana flow, so we can get out of our body and back to source. It's a process of going inward to escape our current selves, rather than to make new discoveries about them. I struggled with all of this for years because it never made sense to me. It all seems summed up by the myth of Persephone, and her abduction into the land of the dead. To summarize, a goddess, for some reason, comes into being as an eternal teen. A powerful being in her own right, she never matures, never comes into full agency, and is never meant to be in balance in any way. She's incomplete by definition, being the virginal essence of spring. Hades, sometimes seen as symbolizing our subconscious, for a whole host of reasons which are amazingly unhealthy and petty, including jealousy and brotherly rivalry, decides to kidnap and rape her. Within the myth, this is seen as appropriate for some reason, and is rarely commented on even today. Oh, and to add the creepy, he's ancient, and once he's raped her, she can never leave him. She's his property. Sometimes the myth is written as if she's tricked into the relationship by eating what he provides. Sometimes what she eats is just referred to as food. Other times, it's three pomegranate seeds. This is an echo of Eve and the apple, but also pomegranates were and are symbols of female sexuality. So sharing the fruit with him has all the really slimy, power-over-seduction overtones you'd see in a bad stalker movie. To make things even worse, she doesn't rescue herself. She's a damsel in distress who is rescued by her mom, who basically threatens to kill every living thing on the planet if she doesn't get her daughter back. Which she can't really do in that once a gum is chewed, it can't be unchewed. model of virginity, which means her daughter has to spend three months of the year with Hades, her abuser, forever afterwards, but can be with her mom the other nine months of the year. As children, we're taught this as a myth which is meant to explain why there's winter, but Greece doesn't really have three months of winter that way, and there's a touch more to the story than this explanation takes into account. This just seems to sum up how we as lay people are supposed to understand our own personality structure, like some abusive relationship which we can't control and can't avoid. Going in means confronting our horrible rapist self and confronting it and making some kind of agreement stalemate which allows us to be free most of the time, but the ugly gets visitation rights. After studying psychology in general, Freud and Jung—I like Jung better, FYI— and spending years studying women's psychology and spirituality, my opinion hasn't changed much. I have a great deal of respect for therapists, as much because they use their skills to help people as because, much of the time, they take what is positive and healthy from all this mess and leave the rest. So, of all the Greek myths, this is the one I liked least. Of course, the Greek myths, as they have come down to us, are really horrid when it comes to how women are treated and how they're perceived, with rape being common and completely acceptable. Medusa is a beautiful woman who got raped by Poseidon and was punished by being made into a monster. Eo got made into a cow, Daphne becoming a tree to escape Apollo, the list goes on. Also, It really doesn't show men in a good light either. Men who have good relationships with women, or who protest this type of treatment, are scorned, or become red shirts which don't survive the day, the battle, the myth, the war, whatever. Anyway, I just couldn't get past the fact this couldn't be the only model for going within. Which, come to find out, is correct. It's just the only one we're taught in public school, and what has become the norm in our common culture. Over the past 25 years, what I've found is the journey within is something which has been co-opted by these myths and modalities, and twisted into something dark and scary. In reality, the journey within is neither. During my studies in women's spirituality, I came across the myth of Inanna, translated by Diane Wolkstein in Inanna, Queen of Heaven and Earth. It's older than the Persephone myth, and comes from a culture which saw women as whole unto themselves, having agency, working as equals and partners with men, and having a direct connection with the earth through their own bodies. Inanna goes into the depths like Persephone, but she isn't forced into doing so. She chooses the journey. She isn't confronted with dangerous quests to overcome, but instead she must make choices at each gate on the way down. These choices cause her to look at herself and evaluate aspects of her life and choose to keep what no longer serves or to let it go and therefore continue the journey. When she arrives at the inside, she finds not an abuser, but her sister, who is in terrible pain both physical and emotional. Inanna helps her not by resolving the issue which would take away her sister's power, but by holding space for her and allowing the healing process to unfold. When this is done, she's ready to return, but she can't on her own. This isn't because she's weak or a damsel, but because she has given so much of herself, trusted to the process, that she needs her community to support her in her return. Her community does help, and she's able to return to her life reborn and more of her true self than ever before. And in so doing, she sees her life with new eyes and sets out to put her house to rights. Along with this amazing journey, the myth has some of the most beautifully sensual and sexual poetry I've ever read, and in the form of a prayer, which is a bonus. It also has an amazing template for people to use when thinking about the journey within. I have known women to turn this myth into a ritual which they enact when they're working to heal, bringing in friends to represent each of the parts, and making the prayer manifest by acting it out in real time and adding in the specifics for the woman in question. When I connected with this myth, I felt the pieces click into place and I realized why I was confused. We may not be aware of what is going on inside us, but having things going on inside us isn't an indicator we are broken, nor do we have rapist stalkers inside us which are waiting to take us down. Experience of ourselves as sexual beings doesn't take things away from us, it gives to us. Having agency, being in relationship, doesn't make us less it's meant to make us more. Susan Griffin wrote a modern version of this internal journey in her book Woman in Nature, The Roaring Inside Her. Moving through the room of the mirror, the room where women learn to reflect what our culture has taught them they are, they arrive inside the cave where they find the pictures their ancestors drew for them, about them. They reconnect with the spiral which is the generations before them, within them, waiting for them, and they returned connected and empowered to be their true selves. Carol Christ found the practice of going within to still be alive and well on the island of Crete. In her book, Odyssey with the Goddess, A Spiritual Quest in Crete, she details her journey to rediscover the goddess, and in so doing, she found some of the ancient caves which, to this day, are still being used as places of meditation, ritual, and prayer for the journey within. One of them she found rather forcibly by falling into it. In the Akashics, many people seek to find out information about themselves, but do so by looking outward, by accessing wisdom from someone else, somewhere else, and through some other authority. Although our soul books are actually extensions of ourselves, of our own souls, people tend to think of them as oracles, which will spout wisdom at us that we need. Guides and mentors are seen the same way. We're taught to look anywhere but inside ourselves for answers. This is one reason why most people think of the room you first enter when working with the Akashics as some vestibule or foyer which has no relevance. So many students literally rush through it to find more enticing places, and end up in public spaces, which they then try to claim for their own. When I find this, I try to help them understand the room they first enter isn't just a holding area. It's them. It's the journey inside. It's the space which represents them in this life right now like a pencil is capable of doing mundane things, such as writing lists or balancing a checkbook, or even noting significant events in a journal, but yet it can also create a masterpiece of art, the room can be used in a multitude of ways. It's all in how you approach it. The journey within is a means for us to reunite our embodied soul with our higher self and bring the wisdom into this life so our minds can ground it and work with it, weaving it into our physical experience. It's a means to unfold our gifts, to acquire wisdom, and to learn about our unique superpowers. Often, I find the questions students have about their lives and what they mean, about what is their path and what they're here to do, can be answered really simply. Unfortunately, The answers almost never satisfy, and often leave the person flat if they don't cause more confusion than existed before. This is often because the answer doesn't actually give the person the answer. Like looking at the map of the mall and finding the arrow which says you are here, then realizing it's only half of what you need to know. The other part is, how do I get from here to where I want to be, and where is that? Our questions direct us to the what, but not the how. The journey within is a twofer. It's both the description and the application of how. There are various means to journey within. Along with the ones I've been talking about, you can also use your room in the Akashics. There are two main ways to do so, and both will get you from here to there. Just a matter of preference. One way is, when entering into the meditation, instead of saying, I'm going through the doorway to get into my room, you say, I'm going through the doorway that starts you on the journey within. You then follow where you're led, or explore as you desire, until you're done. You may have to do this in a number of meditations, as the journey may unfold in stages over time. The other way is to go through the doorway into your room, then have your animal guide lead you through another door, which starts your journey. You'll get to the same place no matter which one you choose. In either case, the journey within is a rich means of unfolding your path in this lifetime and being connected with your full potential. What will you discover in the fullness of yourself? And that's all the time we have this week. Next week, we'll be digging into the Akashic map of our bodies provided by Kabbalah's Tree of Life. If you're interested in knowing more, check out my website, akashicreading.com. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please take a minute to rate it five stars on iTunes. Your comments are also appreciated. Thanks. Bye.